0: Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin.
1: What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. It is so great to have you here with us today. We are at episode 99. We are uh, the last possible two digits that we can be before we hit 100 episodes later this week. Really excited. We got some uh, cool stuff planned for that episode. Can't wait to share that with you. So make sure you be on the lookout for that. We're also gonna be doing some uh, significant giveaways with that just to celebrate the 100th episode. So really pumped about that. Really excited. Looking forward to it. So make sure that you, uh, you check that out coming at you in a couple of days. But in the meantime, today we've got a great guest for you, a great interview. We've got a guy who dubs himself as having the least marketable skill. On the planet. If you are familiar with, with baseball at all, if you follow baseball at all, you may be familiar with this guy. Maybe you've seen him before. He goes by the batting stance guy. He's also known as Gar Rines, is His actual name, which is a unique name, uh, let's not lie. The batting stance guy is the guy who can mimic All of these different batting stances of lots of different, like any baseball player you can think of or imagine, he can mimic their batting stance. So if you're a baseball fan, you're going to love this episode. (laughs) If you have no idea what we're talking about uh, that's right. You still may want to tune in. It's still good stuff. If you if you need to pass, that's fine. It's not going to hurt my feelings at all. Make sure, again, you check back at episode 100. But really fascinating story here about how he takes the skill of being able just to mimic a baseball player's batting stance, which, again, is such a bizarre thing. And how he has... He's not making a full-time living at it, but he's been able to have some of these amazing experiences and been able to do some really cool stuff and leverage this, this really unmarketable skill that he has. So, Really great stuff. Excited to share this with you. We also, I'd encourage you to stick around for the bonus afterwards. He shares with us just some crazy stories of what he's experienced and being the batting stance guy. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. So let's jump right into the interview. Here is my chit chat with Gar Reines, the batting stance guy. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today we are joined by Gar Rynes, who is a, uh, he has what he dubs the least marketable skill in America. So excited to share his story and journey with you today. So Gar, what is up, man? Welcome to the show.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much, Grant.
1: All right. Now you call it the least marketable skill in America. So people are wondering, what is it that is the least marketable skill in, in the U.S.?
0: I can imitate most any baseball player in the last 30 years
1: is that a thing? Like, like, like that's just crazy.
0: Yeah, I know. I truly believe that it wasn't a thing. And the joke started in my own family. So I have three younger siblings. One is on Broadway. In fact, was just in uh, Peter Pan the musical on TV if you saw it with Christopher Walken. Yeah. And then my sister is a storyboard artist for TV and films. If you have a, four-year-old that watches Bubble Guppies. Her name yeah. comes up at the end. And then another sister that's very accomplished and a singer, talent agent for a long time. And so I was the only kid in our family sans talent. So when I would be in the front yard with friends saying like, all right, I'll be Ricky Henderson or I'll be Dusty Baker or whoever, just the joke started that I have the least marketable skill in America because all my siblings were super talented and you know here i am so you like
1: you're known as like the batting stance guy so anybody that like is a baseball aficionado i mean especially people like myself grew up in the 80s I, I collected all the cards and played that game and so super familiar with those guys from the 80s 90s and and like all the unique stances and nuances and the batting gloves and all that stuff so like how do you like today how do you make a living as the batting stance guy <laughs>
0: Well, uh, let's keep the illusion that it is a seven-figure salary, and I just wake up in the morning, have some coffee, do a couple jogs around a reservoir, write some jokes, and then watch... You make it sound so glamorous and sexy. Double-A Braves players who are going to come up, and I need to figure out what they're got like. No, it's been a bucket list hobby of all bucket list hobbies. I think when... When people are getting into any kind of arts, and I live around a bunch of people that are making a living as stand-up comedians or musicians or writers or directors, all that kind of stuff. And as you know, when you get into something at 22 or 23, and if times are tight, you can live on your parents' couch or a friend's couch. It's a little easier than when you do it, let's say, at 40 with multiple kids and a wife and a mortgage. Yeah. You have to kind of hit the ground running a little bit. So, no, it's always been a ridiculously fun hobby that has paid more than it should have, but you know, very rarely a, this is what we can live on <laughs> type right, of right. stuff. And I've sort of learned, and I did know this before, that a lot of times when you see, I don't know, George Clooney in the Monday Night Football booth, or you see Frank Caliendo or Jimmy Kimmel doing something, you think they're getting paid a ton, but the more I've kind of come up through the ranks in tv the more that exposure is kind of the payment and so yeah. in many cases like they don't get paid for that they may get paid from you know abc or universal pictures you know to promote the thing but the actual thing you think is paying people usually isn't so i would you know drop my kids off at school having just done a couple things with dodgers and people are like man did that pay incredibly well and i was like <laughs> that they didn't validate my parking. I mean, not only did they not pay, it's like I had to buy a ticket to get in (laughs) because they can kind of say, hey, but there's exposure.
1: Yeah. So that's basically been the the currency for much of this hobby for for your career?
0: Yeah, I mean, a a lot of it. It, it. In terms of actual dollars, I'll be asked to host events that players will throw. So like a player's charity or this last year, ESPN, MLB Network, and Fox Sports, all... Paid me to do multiple things, but you add it all together, and it'll purchase a nice computer. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not a. Uh... Pay for your daughter's club volleyball for the next three years. Right, It's been very fun. The book, and then, you know, there was an advance. There there was way more money has come in than should have.
1: Well, Not I think that's a, that's important to, to, like, note for some people because, like, for for a couple reasons. Like, one is from the outside looking in, it's easy to look at and be like, oh, man, the, he's, he's the batting stance guy. I mean, he's probably rolling in it, you know? Like, people just, yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's making bank, but it's, like, it's, it's helpful to realize, like, outside looking in sometimes looks glamorous and sexy and like it's this this prestigious thing like most of my career has been as a speaker so I travel around a, yeah. a lot and so people are like yeah. oh man you get to you get to fly all the time you get to go to hotels I was like yeah, it's, it's not glamorous at all like you don't see like the yeah. airplane malfunctions and the misconnections and the lost yeah. baggage and the long drives and like it's the same like with a baseball player like you know we're talking about like we look at it and they're like man that is awesome but like you're on the road for a lot of the year you're away from your family constantly and you think about some play like a like a relief pitcher like, Like they may only like throw a couple pitches every several days, you know? So sometimes like outside looking in, it seems glamorous, but like when you kind of pull back the curtain, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's cool, but it's not as glamorous as people might think it is.
0: Yeah. And a lot of the timing of your life, like where you are when these opportunities present themselves, you can kind of treat it like a second job and stop working out or going to movies or, you know, (laughs) sleeping eight hours a night, you know, and, and, after you put the kids down, you work on stuff until three in the morning, you know, like a lot of writers or people that are doing, you know, trying to cut an album in their Nebraska home on the side and on weekends because right. it's like a hobby. It's 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 pretty fun when you when you get some opportunity and you're able to sink some time into it to see how far it can go. And you know there was, there were four. Let me think six. TV stations and or production companies that brought me in this last year to to host a show, to host a reality show. And then MLB had me shoot a pilot or I, it's an interview series. So there are these things that in 20 seconds could become a career but you know entertainment is a lot of like sitting around and waiting for something that never happens so there's definitely some really fun irons in the fire this last year the padres had me fill in as the pregame show host with dick enberg would take the day off then the host of the pregame show would then take over dick Enberg's spot and then they would call me and have me come down and host the pregame show so completely ridiculous to a let's say random Cardinals fan that lives in Nashville. Just unbelievable And interacting with players. And my first interview was with uh, Jared from Subway. So we are talking big time access (laughs) with the biggest names. Of course. Sports and... And franchise outlets. Yeah, (laughs) and franchise outlet. Uh, By the way, I I interviewed him the morning after Sharknado 2, which he was actually <laughs> in.
1: So, <laughs> I, uh, a little like fun it. fact. I wouldn't have known that, yeah. having not seen one or two. And then last season, what was crazy is
0: the Yankees, in fact, it was pretty much this week of last year, flew me out to Houston. And by the way, first time I'd ever been in first class or stayed at the four seasons. There you go. Uh, Yankees flew me into Houston, had me entertained for their team dinner before opening... Night. Wow. So, so I would just I would get up on stage. They handed me a jersey, and then I'd met probably half of the guys just randomly in different at different times, and then C. C. Sabathia just kind of almost stood up and said, "All right, let me see sheriff. let me see G and then it was just a smorgasbord of comedy, and it was just the Yankees. What's funny is. If you're a speaker, you've probably been in a million rooms of 40 to 100 people, nice hotel lobby, but the smaller one, right. and, or like conference room, chicken, like dinner on the side, sure. people dressed up a little more than they want to be around circle tables, but yeah. it's the Yankees. Right, right, right. There's <laughs> a million rooms like that where it was just you know, Joe from accounting, but it was like, oh, that's <laughs> Derek Jeter in that position. It's surreal, and, yeah. uh, and then and then they even asked me, "Hey, we have a couple people that wanna be in the room. Is it okay?" And I was like, "Well, what do you mean? Like, because it's just the Yankees and the coaching staff." I said, "Well, who are the people?" I said, "Andy Pettit and Reggie Jackson." I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> 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 sure." I mean, I mean, if they don't talk, yeah, put a, give them get them at like a kids table. <laughs> like, sure, come That's on. And then they had me, they had me jump on. So did stances and kind of imitations and had a story for pretty much each one of the players and it was just so fun. And then I ended up thinking, all right, this is a probably a good time. I've been up there 20 minutes, good time to like come off stage. And then a couple of people pulled me aside and said, Hey, we saw the stuff that you do on MLB network when you do voices and you kind of do imitations of the announcers. Why don't you interview Brian Cashman as John Heyman? And they gave me some of this insider stuff. And so then we go on stage. Wow. It was so bizarre. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was pretty pretty but, funny. And then Ichiro, Ichiro's in the elevator with me maybe three hours later. And at that point, I'm not wearing a hat. I don't have a bat. So I'm thinking he may not recognize me even because it's been so many hours. And he smiles, looks at me, and then says, Dante Bichette. <laughs> like, huh? But
1: he wants like a random mid-90s Rocky when he was in Japan. Like, Oh man, it was a blast. That's great. And uh, Ichiro himself has a unique batting style, but that's got to be just like you know, those type of surreal moments where you're like, even though I may not be making my living from this, this is the type of thing where it's just like, like, is this real life? Is this happening to me right now? So you know, let's go back a little bit. So growing up, you're you're playing baseball. You're trying to live up to the expectations of sounds like the rest of your siblings. Like, are you just uh, at what point are you like learning? A lot of players. It's one thing to like play in the backyard, yeah. wiffle ball, and to know like a couple of them here and yeah. there. But at what point are you like, let's start making like a more of a, a thing out of this and start learning more characters? So
0: com- almost completely the opposite. So my siblings are all younger than me. So at that point, you know, when I was eight, nine, you know, they were one and three, and yeah. no, no idea that they <laughs> that they had more talent than me. So we just played stickball out front. We weren't allowed to watch much TV, so I think that was part of it. And I wa- and I collected baseball cards. So when we would do imitations of, I don't know, our neighbors or our aunts or uncle, I just noticed that it got laughs and I didn't have to do voices when you're doing baseball players. So you don't have to be as good as say Saturday Night Live folks. Right. Um, and I wasn't setting out to try to create something, some marketable thing. It was just, I love baseball and I'm, I guess, okay at, you know, imitating friends' mannerisms or how they stand or kind of the, almost like the, you're at some location where there's artists and they do wacky renderings and they, you make your nose three times as big.
1: Right, right. Um,
0: like at the fair. Char- so sort verse, of like, yeah. Yeah, it was just doing that. And then honestly, even at the end of high school, I was in the Bay Area and, God bless the Bay Area, but if you're listening to this podcast and you're from outside of California, there's a good chance that people were more into sports in your neighborhood than they were in mine.
1: Right? There were just
0: other things to do and, and not everyone cared. So then it w- I went back east to college and at that point, someone asked me to do an imitation of like the 86 Mets and then I got known in the dorms as, because everybody knew baseball like in upstate New York, I was at Syracuse and then it just became a thing where people then would start requesting, hey, let me see a bunch of these Orioles. And so then I kind of became known in a small pocket of people as the guy that can imitate <laughs> baseball players. How did, it, how did it, I didn't even know it happened. How did it, do it,
1: how did it begin to go beyond just like that small group of people to the point where you became known as like the batting stance guy?
0: Sure. So 2008, we're at some like kid's birthday party and a friend who's a television and commercial producer. He asked me to, to, Yeah, mimic some Red Sox. He's from Boston. And so he laughed and he said, hey, can I video you because I want to show my buddies back in Boston. So he just lobbed out 15 names and that's the video that was online that has a bunch of hits. And then instead of him sending it to his friends, he put it on YouTube, which between you and me, I didn't even really know what YouTube was at
1: the time. Right, right.
0: And so then he puts it on YouTube and then Bill Simmons ran it on his page the next day. And then it went on the front page of YouTube for a day. So then it went from... 40 comments to 1600 comments and wow. a lot of the comments were hey do my team or wow this guy pretty sure he has a high functioning disease <laughs> and there's certainly he like my favorite one was bro when you kiss a girl for the first time you are gonna see skyrockets <laughs> my man
1: that is hilarious <laughs> yeah. so the youtube was a really like that was took it, it off for so, you that
0: got? was it that was the only yeah i mean that was it i've met and run into randomly bill simmons multiple times and each time i thank him for <laughs> helping me cross every conceivable item off <laughs> of my bucket list and he uh and he, he's appreciative because he i think he kind of knows that he has the power to kill and launch careers <laughs> right, right right and he, he just figured i was from and he just figured i was from boston because you know the video was red sox and then. Caleb, the guy that's shooting the video, he's calling out the names. as kind of the snarky, laughing Boston-y guy. Yeah. So people just assumed we were from Boston. I've never, I've never lived in Boston. I'm not particularly a Red Sox fan. I just, he just happened to be interested in Red Sox and calling out those names. That's wild. So, so, so that was it. And then what happened was, at this point, my siblings were older and kind of highly, you know, more functioning in the world, and so. My brother's like eight years younger than me, and so I got a, a series of texts as I'm walking one of my daughters to school. I got a series of texts from all people born in, say, like 1980, 81,
1: 82. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm like, 81. Yep. There you go. They were like, dude, you're featured. You're featured. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, that's great. Like, what, <laughs> what, what does that it, mean? What does it mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it somehow ran on the front page of YouTube. That just kind of sent it into orbit because. Then over the next few weeks, because so many people were requesting their team's video, we just shot a video every other... I mean, we've shot about two teams per week. Actually, I think the very next one we shot was the Cardinals. We shot a Cardinals video, and then we shot a... uh, I forget, Braves or Tigers or A's or Giants, somebody... And and this this
1: would have been like late 2000s? No, yeah, no, this was like 08. Okay, This was
0: like April, May, let's say of 08. Yeah. And then then what happened was in June, two months into it, it's a total blast. I get an email to the YouTube page from the Minnesota Twins saying, hey, can you come in tomorrow to do the pregame show? Wow. I was like, what? And what's crazy is I grew up as a huge Twins fan. It was like they knew somehow that that would be the first team, even though it was probably the 14th video we did. Yeah. And so – I emailed back saying like, hey, I actually don't live in Minnesota. I'm assuming you're not playing on fly. They're like, what? How do you know who Tim Laudner is? We figured you lived up the street. And then what I realized is a lot of the fan bases of the videos thought that we lived in whatever town it was. So if we were shooting a Braves video, my buddy from Marietta would be calling out the names. Yeah. Or there'd be somebody that would know some local spice for that place. And so then the Twins person said all right well if you're ever out this way we'd love for you to come in and interact with you know the team i was like what i couldn't believe it and then the brewers did the same thing and then you know i got a i got a request from the dodgers like fox sports prime ticket or one of those and a guy who's become a good friend since then says hey could we fly you out to dodger stadium and I remember (laughs) replying how about I ride my bike? Because I just live <laughs> right up the street. <laughs> but like, what? I thought you lived in the East Coast because the video. It's like, can't, can't can't a Red Sox fan call out names and not figure? I mean, I was in flip-flops. Right. Like, where in Boston were we shooting this in early April? So, yeah, so then Dodgers, Angels, Padres. So a bunch of teams had me come out that year. And then that was the first time I'd spoken on camera. And then that, because people thought that I – may not have all my faculties based on the skill set, which I completely understand. It was really fun to be able to interact kind of like this and then have a couple more doors open up. So after that, Fox pitched, hey, we want you we want to do a guest to stance and have you do like Cardinals and Dodgers and all these all these games and, and then there was a late night talk show appearance. So it, it kind of it went from there and then MLB network started having me more as a a recurring correspondent where I would like hold a microphone and interview people as opposed to just like juggle.
1: Right. (laughs) Dance monkey dance. Like as this is all happening during like that 2008 season, are you feeling like, Hey, there might be something here. And maybe I can, I can, maybe I could do this for a little while. Or is it just feeling like this is just kind of a fad. I'm just going to ride this wave as long as I can. Or like, what are you kind of thinking at that point?
0: Yeah. So I think because of how many people that I live around, work in entertainment it it's just a brutal industry i know it's sexy and cool and fun and awesome but it's it's so flippant and it just kind of chews people up and spits them out and you know a lot of the people that you see that you think are like an overnight sensation because they got some show and you would never heard of them have been doing stand-up comedy for 20 years on the road and yeah. are just like it's like a band when you hear them for the first time like Unless it's like in sync or they were made in Orlando, it, there's a chance they've like the band's toured Canada for the last eight years. You know, before right, you right. heard about their rookie album. So because of that, I always figured I was working a nonprofit and not going down that road. I didn't think that it was realistic to just kind of leapfrog everyone and all of a sudden be, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my own show. Or and so I didn't really think about it too much. I just thought all of these stories are going to make a dynamic presentation at a, at a barbecue when I'm 50 with somebody. (laughs) I mean, like that's it. I was just thinking eke as many possible stories as you can for just who knows if this will ever happen again. And, and I really thought it would be gone after a season, you know, that somebody would, somebody would be able to recite all the world series team names backwards at (laughs) three. And that would be the internet thing that, And I would be kicked to the curb. So I just thought, all right, I'll just put out some content. I'll try to be a voice of the super nerdy fan that has never gotten to meet a bunch of players and make them laugh. I'll just try to have people that I like and respect that are like peers of mine that are all over. I'll hope, to have them kind of vicariously live through me, because I'm not pretty enough to be on TV, so i will just I'll just gonna get to take all my friends with me down on the field when I'm meeting these guys. Right, 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 right. Because, because I really, truly love it. I mean, I love the players, and so when the players will have me in their stretching circles, so there's been like, probably about half the teams have had me in the middle of their stretching circle or in the clubhouse, and then have wanted me to go around and kind of clown each person on the team. Yeah, And I couldn't do it because I'm kind of like the sparklets water guy. There's no, what are they going to do? Fire me. Like I'm not I'm, <laughs> like, who's going to take offense to it. And if they do, who cares? Whereas right. when Djokovic, like the best tennis player in the world makes fun of the 80th player, it's like, it's kind of mean because right. he's the number one. Whereas like, <laughs> you know, when like Josh Beckett says like, Hey, keep your day job. You loser. It's like, well, I am a loser compared to you. <laughs> like, what's, what's the fun in that? Right. So I can just kind of come in and tell a joke or make Derek Jeter look more effeminate than he ever has before. All of his teammates die laughing. and I'm like, what, are Derek and I not going to be friends? Like, we're not friends now. <laughs> I
1: don't know. Like, you just feel like you have nothing to lose.
0: Yeah, and especially, listen, if I was 19, I'd be super nervous, and I don't know, and standing, and it's a real resume builder. But in your, like, mid-30s, late-30s, I'm married with kids, it's like, I don't want to go on the road for the next nine months, tour around. I mean, I want to, I want to have these incredible interactions and these great stories. And, and, you know, I've gotten to take my girls down on the field to a bunch of stadiums and they kind of can hang out with different players and ask them questions. And I, I never dreamed of, I mean, I would have cut my left arm off to, to spend a day with Vince Coleman in 1987. <laughs> Just like I have a conversation with him for an hour, and my daughters right. will see C.J. Wilson on TV and be like, oh, that's the guy we talked to yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's wild, you crazy. Know? Let me ask you this: and like, how do you yeah. kind of balance that at that point where like things are starting to take off, and you feel like I'm just living this surreal dream? I would assume like you're you're probably pulled in two directions. Like one is the is that sexy, glamorous? Like what if this was a thing? Like what if this was my full time gig, and what if I got to travel around like to every stadium and to meet all these guys? And to, like I work for these various networks, and I've got you know these various things that I'm doing that are a part and contributing to this. But then there's that other side on the other shoulder who's just like. Yeah. But let's be realistic. So like, you know, you have responsibilities and you want to eat and live indoors. And so therefore, you know, you have to kind of balance it. So how do you balance that out of like, I want to chase this dream and pursue this thing that could be really, really cool. But at the same time, I need to be a responsible human. So how do you balance that?
0: Yeah, it was, I mean, that was was definitely tough. And I made mistakes by spending too much time Usually spending too much time on it. Rarely was the mistake of spending not enough time on it, because I really truly sp- have spent each year assuming that this is the last year that teams are going to ask me down on the field, or this is the last year that MLB Network's going to have me do something. But then what will happen is, you know, MLB Network will call and say, "Hey, listen, tomorrow can you interview John Hamm for the million-dollar arm? But you-, you need to wear spore coat and be on the." Be on the red carpet at this time. So, there's these kind of ridiculous things coming in the Padres. Same thing. Yeah. Like those things that come in, it's just when you like your spouse, you kind of have to triage the importance of, okay, here's this Padres thing. Here's the opportunity. If I'm coaching my daughter's softball team and I'm going to miss the next five games because of this thing. I probably say no, you know? Yeah. Because um, I, I haven't wanted to look back and regret, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have spend all that time away because the kids are only young for a little while. But then at the same time, I mean, this is, I mean, if if people are considering really going after some kind of hobby of front, when Simon Schuster asked me to write a book on baseball, a friend of mine simultaneously's daughter had leukemia. And so I remember we would be praying for her and and I would be talking to him and and I remember he said he was still teaching full time. And I remember he said, you know, what's crazy. And I didn't know this till now that if I just like decide to sleep three or four less hours a night, don't see any movies, don't binge watch TV, don't work out, don't do anything other than sit at my daughter's side of the hospital bed or go to work. You have like eight or nine extra hours a day than you think. Yeah. And so – it was a way more real situation than mine. But I remember thinking, yeah, I probably could write a book. I mean, I, if, if I just kind of gave up the stuff that's sort of like, well, a, you know, I can watch TV three years from now. I don't, you know, I don't need to really be on top of that. And all right, I won't play in this basketball game anymore. And I won't, you know, and and I'll stay up a little bit later working on this project. And yeah, I just won't like fart around and watch TV, you know, as much so then to write the book it was that i just all you, know, you have these like 8 extra hours a day again you got to be fine with like not working out <laughs> not getting great sleep it's not necessarily the best everyone. <gasps> but I think I was able to do a lot of stuff by you know, still focusing on my kids putting them down then writing the book till like 2 in the morning you know
1: well I think again you make another good point there of like go back to that band analogy that you, you referenced earlier that you know you look at someone that we on the outside looking in view as like this overnight success but like you don't see that they've been playing for, for years and years and years together and all the work that goes into it so I think even for you it's just like you look at from the outside looking in like oh he's got this cool little gig that just magically yeah. appeared and all of a sudden he has a book and he probably had a ghost that did it all and it's like no no no. like you make sacrifices to like get somewhere significant like every ball player that like we look up to and admire and respect who's not yeah. juiced up were are guys that like put yeah. in the work like spent hours and ridiculous amounts of time in the batting cage going over like stupid drills like these same yeah. little fielding drills that you and i did in little league that like they're still doing over and over and over and over again or, and what's so funny is even
0: it's not even as black and white as that i mean even the guys that are juicing spent, i mean yeah. Spend a million hours in the weight room. You know, it's like right. it, it's everyone's working so much harder than than the next person that if you're just kind of sitting around hoping something will happen Yeah, it might, but it usually doesn't. It's usually you're completely logging crazy hours. It's the same with work. I mean the, any top sales guy out there probably like doesn't shut it off Friday at two, like makes calls the whole day, <laughs> like does all the things that like six years later kind of pays off. Right. even if it doesn't pay off right then.
1: Well, hey, I got a couple other questions we're going to save for the yeah. bonus round. One of the things I want to hear about is I want to hear about just some other stories that you may have. I'm sure you've, you've got plenty. As a baseball guy, I'm yeah. intrigued by some of those stories. But you referenced the book. Tell us about the book. Man, it was so fun. And by the way,
0: my college professors and high school teachers are... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a published author. So we got that. We got, let's get that out of the way. Yeah, what was so fun, too, is that part of what I wanted to do with this thing, again, there was no plan for it, is to kind of take friends along for the ride. And so Caleb, my buddy that originally threw out the video and the idea and whatnot, he, he and I have basically partnered to do everything that you've seen Batting Saints guy related. I mean, it's a fun, creative outlet for him he made like all those AT&T Lily commercials that you see like he he's working but this is like a really fun creative outlet for him and so yeah when Simon Schuster approached us he's like you know we are definitely doing this where i was thinking like wait can i write <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> can i speak pretty yeah so we we wrote it together we completely wrote it together like i had all the the directions I wanted to go. It's a love letter to baseball framed around the 50 greatest stances of my lifetime. All right. um, and so they're ranked one to 50, but it's not just like, Hey, Gary Sheffield's elbow is so crazy. It's more like getting rejected by girls in seventh grade. I mean, it's, it's more of kind of a, a stroll down why baseball is so great. And I've seen a game in every stadium and taking a lot of stuff in Japan and overseas and here. And yeah, it's just, it, they, Simon Shisher wanted a fun, less than $20, Book written about baseball, but not by a grizzled veteran player or some classically trained sportscaster or a you know reporter. They wanted just like a fan voice, right? And then there's a bunch of artwork in it. It's really, really, really fun. It's on Amazon. Too. What's it called? It's called Batting Stance Guy: A Love Letter to Baseball.
1: Beautiful, excellent. Well, we'll be sure and link up to that in the show notes. So, Gar, where else can we find out about you if we want to check you out on uh, social media or online? Where can we go?
0: Yeah, so Twitter, um, at batting stance G. It would be at batting stance guy, but that's too many characters. So <laughs> at batting stance G. And occasionally, like Fox Sports had me live tweet the home run derby, and nice. also at a different times. So sometimes it's all in different accounts. But at batting stance G is pretty much regularly updated with thoughts on baseball. And then there's also a Facebook page, and then at batting stance guy or you know www dot batty Sky guy is the website and so we do posts on that whatever is anything interesting we'll link to it from there so
1: that's that's the main way cool good stuff man we'll link up to all that in the show notes as well and like i mentioned we've got a couple other questions i want to hear a couple other stories yeah. uh we'll stick those in the uh, the bonus round so we'll be coming out people uh, again in just a second so Gar, really appreciate the time man really enjoyed it thanks brother All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Gar as the batting stance guy. What a unique skill to have. And, you know, I love the story, though, of how he has taken something like that and he has built, not necessarily built a full-time career out of it, but he's, you know, he's built a little side hustle out of it, the side gig that's made him uh, not only just a, a, you know, some of his income, and, but also just given him these amazing experiences, these incredible opportunities. And so uh, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that was encouraging and inspiring to you. Hey, also, I would encourage you to download the bonus material. Gar and I, we, we stick around and chat for a few more minutes. He tells some crazy stories about being the batting stance guy, about meeting and interacting uh, with Major League Baseball players. So really good stuff. You can check that out at Baldwin. Hey, again, like I mentioned to you at the top of the show, we have uh, episode 100 that is going to be coming to you very soon, just later this week. So make sure you uh, be on the lookout for that. We'd love for you to subscribe to the show, download uh, the episodes, leave us a rating and review within iTunes. Really appreciate that. You know what? 100 episodes, that's pretty crazy. That's pretty surreal. But we couldn't be where we're at today and what we've been able to to do and the the show that we've been able to produce without you listening. So really appreciate it and excited to share episode 100 with you in a couple days. So we will talk to you then, my friends. You're awesome.
0: Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.